I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is episode 183 and uh, we're bringing a light comedy for you today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, which is one heck of a stunning movie. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Um, directed by Will, is that right? Will McDonough, is that his name? Martin what? McDonough, Martin sorry. McDonough. Yeah, Martin right. McDonough, and uh, he. we've done one of his movies on this podcast before called In Bruges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he is on target here again. He does, I, I didn't like his second movie, which was Seven Psychopaths, but this movie is a real good companion to In Bruges. If you can take it, because it can be a bit of a slog in in terms of it takes you down before it takes you up again. <laughs> and um, but I like the fact that it's kind of a morality play. It forces us to examine big questions about our own lives by showing us, like Flannery O'Connor does, violence and making us shocked so that we think again. And also her characters, of course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the connection he made obvious, didn't he? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. For anybody mm-hmm. who was watching you know, or looking, you know, there's a character very near the very beginning of the movie who's reading. Uh, a good story is hard to find. No, a good man is hard to find. A good a good man is of course. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> I've done the same. And also, thing. <laughs> amazingly, listening to the podcast, a good story is hard to find. <laughs> Well, you know, we get around. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right. Yeah. So he was reading yeah. A Good Man. It's hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and that kind of warns you if you notice it. And I didn't notice it. And I kind of wished I had because that would have given me a different context the first time through the movie. And when I'm telling people to watch the movie, I always mention toward the middle, you can start to feel really beat down by some of the things that are happening. And it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere good. But by the end, there are slivers of light and glimpses of possibility for grace. Mm -hmm. And that is what I would have liked to have known when I began the movie is that he doesn't just, you know, break you down and leave you in the ditch. And um, which is kind of what Flannery O'Connor does. And she was saying on A Good Man is Hard to Find, she says... I have found that violence is strangely capable of returning my characters to reality and preparing them to accept their moment of grace. All my stories are about the action of grace on a character who is not very willing to support it, but most people think of these stories as hard, hopeless, and brutal. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And we noticed that, too. I mean, that's why we were drawn to it in the first place, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, is the... The notice of of that grace. Yeah, and that's what we found in the Flannery O'Connor stories. They're hard to read if you don't have that in mind. And even if you do, and this movie can be the same way, but by exposure to it, you kind of start to love it. Mm. At least I do. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I think, and this is just kind of before we launch in to the extremely simple description, is that 
what's interesting is that in in Bruges, the director who also wrote these because he's a playwright, he keyed everything in that movie, I think, of of Hieronymus Bosch. Hmm. has these very surreal paintings. And it's focused on in the beginning as the two gunmen in Bruges are doing a, a museum tour. And they're talking about the paintings a lot. And from there mm. on, all these different elements of the movie, you can kind of see them start to key off of it. And there's a very surreal section in the middle that looks like it could have come out of one of his paintings and at the end. And here, I think, he's keying off of that Flannery O'Connor piece of art. And it doesn't mean that that's what he's deliberately going for. But once you see those clues in there, it's like he's going, here's another level of my movie. And I think it's interesting that he's done that in those two movies. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, I hadn't made the connection to the Bosch stuff, but I remember we talked about it during that podcast. And uh, and yeah, yeah, he did kind of do the same thing here. Did you mm-hmm. notice anything um, specifically relating to Flannery O'Connor other than, you know, tone and method? Um, did you did you connect anything directly? Oh, not to the story? any other symbolism or anything. Yeah. No. Okay, I was just curious. The entire yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Being hard. You know, I'm just wondering. You know, that now I need to reread all of Flattering O'Connor, and then Enjoy when I recover, that. when I recover, I can watch this movie again <laughs> and see. Uh, maybe I'll see uh, an exact connection. Golly, you're so wise and deep by the time you've done that. <laughs> Oh, shoot. Goodness. So yeah. the description is basically that there is a woman whose daughter was killed in a very horrible way. It's an unsolved murder. And she is extremely angry about it. And especially at the sheriff, who doesn't seem to have made any progress in almost a year. And she sees three unused billboards in a row on a little used path that's on her way into town. And so she hires those billboards and puts up a message that says, what, uh, raped while dying. Hmm. Golly, I should have looked this up. Yeah, it says raped while dying. And then uh, something along the lines that nobody's been arrested. And then the last one says, why is this Chief Willoughby? Chief Willoughby. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, what that does is kind of spark the community in a way. And it certainly sparks the police department, especially Chief Willoughby, who's got his own problems and keeps trying to explain, look, a lot of crimes don't get solved. We're trying our hardest, but unless certain things, you know, there's no DNA evidence, there's nobody, we looked everywhere. And a lot of times these crimes are, just solved by accident. Someone sees a little bit of evidence that they didn't expect. Someone overhears a conversation. Um, And unless that happens, sometimes we're just stuck. And the other person who's really affected by it because he's extremely loyal to Chief Willoughby is uh, Deputy Sheriff Dixon, who's played by Sam Rockwell. And he is, (laughs) he's kind of like the epitome of everybody's nightmare of a small town cop. He's literally stupid and he's very prejudiced and he's very direct. So what that combination gets you, and he's kind of tolerated by the chief in a lot of these things. So what that gets you is somebody who does things that are reprehensible and Mm. gets away with it a lot. 
yeah. and picks on people and so forth. And so what the dynamic starts up is then you've got her family. It's how does the community react? Uh, how do the police react? And how does she push back against that? Yeah. I don't What else should I say? Um, I, I mean, boy, I mean, there's so much. I, I guess, you know, in, in that structure, you know, all these characters are affecting each other in a way that is... Um, not typical. It's it's like turned up to eleven. <laughs> you know, there, there's just these yeah. things that are. It's like this spider web of influences and and uh, things mm-hmm. that just seemed amazing to me. Um, you know, when I first watched it, I, I just thought that was really something to have pulled off. Yeah. Well, it it shows how her highlighting that and her anger brings forth a lot of reaction. And then those reactions set off other reactions, and which is how it happens in real life too, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't think about it a lot of the time, and these are more extreme. So it's really, that sounds really simple, and it is really simple. Um, and I would say also, <laughs> for anybody who's just listening to this at this point and then deci- to decide if they want to watch it, the language, as was the case with In Bruges, is very bad. <laughs> uh, you could call it three effing billboards outside <laughs> ebbing effing Missouri and not yeah, be too far off. That's right. Yeah. So, um, although even the language is a point of conversation because um, of something we could talk about later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, but you kind of have to look past that if you're thinking about Flannery O'Connor, who didn't use that kind of language, but she did use words like nigger mm-hmm. and deliberately so. Right. To she get used, she reactions. used it with purpose. Yeah. Yeah. She used it with purpose. I don't think this is used with purpose as much. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, that just seems to be his style. To well, show he, a yeah, he uses person. it in that one place, but it was. Uh, I think it was. I think it was, think it was illustrative. <laughs> you know. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like once you get slapped in the face enough times, you don't even notice the slaps anymore. Right. Right. Um, yeah. However, so that's mm-hmm. it, and. Um, I guess we should just dive in. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's so, dive in. Yeah, so yeah, we should. I should also say, you know, the actors are amazing. Oh yeah, it's just everybody <laughs> was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, I was watching this because um, Frances McDormand got the Academy Award for Best Actress, and of course, she is just really good at this repressed rage and grief and that she holds so tightly the whole time. I don't know how she didn't have a breakdown at the end of filming this thing. And then Mm -hmm. um, Sam Rockwell won the best supporting actor. And he also halfway through the movie, I was going, Oh, well, of course he got it because everybody loves, you know, somebody who accurately depicts a racist, you know, idiot from a small town. But what you don't expect is that his character arc takes an upward turn in the last fourth of the movie. Yeah, so he's having to convey mm-hmm. a different aspect to that character. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is amazing. Right. And that that was um, part of why I think I liked it so much. Um, there were these moments that were surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in uh, character moments. Right. In which the typical way would have been this way you know 
Um, but instead, there, the it was like the director was or the writer. I guess the writer and director are the same guy in this one. Yeah. Um, he would allow them to change. You know, he would allow the characters to mm -hmm. change, and um, that was really great. That was really great. So. Um, if I talk about Mildred Hayes for a minute, this is, you know, this is an illustrative thing. Right. She's, she's clearly, she clearly hates men with good reason. Um, because she hasn't had a lot of luck with them. Right. So she hates everyone. Yeah, she does. She does. But, yeah. you know, specifically <clears throat> like she talks about, um, to the chief, you know, so chief Willoughby, he comes to her. After the billboards are put up, mm -hmm. and he comes to her uh, to talk to her, uh, you know, he's like trying to explain to her what the situation is with the case of her daughter, and um, that you know they haven't found anybody, etc. And it's hard because the DNA doesn't match anybody, mm -hmm. etc. He was giving her you know facts and stuff, um, and then she said something along the lines of uh, everybody. I think I'm pretty sure she said all men need to be DNA tested at birth. And then <laughs> when something happens, they should find out who did it. And then if they're a hundred percent certain, they should kill him. Right. Yeah. She's so, yeah. And then, <clears throat> you know, and, and then like, she's well, pretty sure that is against that There are civil rights laws. Yeah. yeah that's that. right. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I'm pretty sure there there's civil rights laws against that, but that was really powerful. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was a powerful statement. And, and that is one of those moments where you have to examine, well, what are my beliefs there? You know, uh, because, you know, it makes you think these things. It's like, wow, you know, that is extreme, but, uh, you know, why do I hold the position I hold? And then, um, the moment of surprise for me with her character came, um, well, one of them, right? But it came. Uh -huh. It came when um, <clears throat> she's in a she's in an interrogation room with uh, oh, yeah. Chief Willoughby, right? And they're yeah. they're having a conversation that is getting more and more intense. Um, and then uh, one of the things, you know, Chief Willoughby has cancer. It's revealed pretty early on. Yeah. And as and he's talking to her better. angrily, um, he coughs by accident and he and blood comes out of his mouth and lands on her face and um the reaction i would expect is from mildred was anger and uh you know i expected you know to storm out furiously something oh, like that really? yeah that's what i would have expected but <laughs> okay that's not exactly that's not what happened at all in fact she reacted yeah. so tenderly to him she said yeah. uh she said, "It's all right, baby." Right in a, in just a, a a voice that I hadn't heard from her yet, mm -hmm. and um, you know, she, there's so much compassion and everything coming from her at that moment. And then she says, "You know, here, let me go get somebody." You know, so yeah. it, so it turned from an escalating argument into "Let me help you." Right, That's interesting, and that yeah. that was a surprise to me. That 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 moment, oh, yeah. yeah. So. Well, and it's funny because I don't think I would have expected her to be angry about it because I didn't expect her to hold things against people that were so involuntary. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect the moment of, oh, baby. Yeah. You know, yeah. that suddenly she's relating to him as a person. Yeah. And not as the authority figure who has been frustrating her because yeah. he doesn't care. Because mm -hmm. he's not handling things. And we see a clue, and it's nice to see that clue to who else she can be. 
And those little clues are given to us because at the very beginning, um, I don't know if you remember, but when she's sitting in the advertising office waiting for the guy, I think he's looking through contracts on the billboards or something. And she's looking at the windowsill and there's a little beetle that's upside down and she just flips it over. That is a little sign of she's not all anger. She is. She can be kind underneath. She can notice things in distress. This anger just so consumes her. So that's another moment when that comes out. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the police chief is is uh, a more obvious point of that because she's not even very nice to her own kid. You know, they're driving along, and the son, who's who's the one person who doesn't see, he just seems to be kind of taking cover against all this violence that's in his world. His father is obviously beat his mother. Now he's off living with a 19-year-old girl. The mother is very angry and upset. His sister, um, you know, was killed in this horrible way. And there, here's this teenage kid who's just kind of trying to get by. And in fact, yeah. we see that he's struggling with it when um, a priest comes to the house. He's going to talk to Mildred because he's like, you got to take the billboards down, man. So he's there kind of representing the community. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, they're on your side but not on this, you know, this is the wrong way to handle it. But beforehand, the boy has been talking to him about his problems because he can't talk to his mother about his problems at school. Yeah, yeah. So he's been talking to the priest because he gets very little comfort. And when she's driving along with the son and they're going by the billboards and the son goes, you know, it's not enough that I don't have to try to forget every day that this happened to her. But now I get to see the details, which I tried to protect myself from. And she goes, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I gave you the forensic report. And he's like, I didn't read it. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, you gave him the forensic report? Why would you do that? Second of all, it never occurred to you that this might be upsetting to a single other person in your family who's innocent because she's so wrapped in this uh, bubble of her own anger and grief. And then later on... um, after the billboards have been burned and the husband in the restaurant comes and says, Hey man, I'm really sorry about that. I was drunk. Yeah. Well, you, what you don't know is my first impression was he did it because he doesn't like her, the ex-wife Mildred. But then later I thought maybe he did it because he didn't like to see the reminder that this is how his little girl died either. Yeah. She's not thinking of anyone but herself at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, um, so we don't see a lot of moments of kindness from her. <clears throat> yeah. So the ones we do see are surprising. Yeah, they are surprising. Yeah. And softness, and I guess like the one with the deer. Yeah, and that moment. was an interesting thing, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> you're making me believe in reincarnation, but you know, you're pretty, but you're not her. Um, yeah. You know, that, that was it was it was powerful what she was doing there. Yeah. What? Yeah. So what? What was your interpretation of that moment? I think that, um, you know, th- this is one of those things that it's kind of like a, a, a Flannery O'Connor moment, right? Without the extreme violence. Um, but somehow that animal was able to break through. Okay. Right. It, it was able to, it was like the bull, you know, that gored that mm-hmm. one lady. Um, Mrs. Greenleaf. Yeah. I think so, it was. yeah. Right. But it, but it somehow it was able to break through because it wasn't mm. human, right? It was able Good. to break through all of this stuff and get right to the core of her. 
and okay. then um, able to see just a little bit about what was in there. Okay. Yeah. I've had that moment before or similar things, you know, that happen sometimes mm-hmm. that sort of, you know, you're out in nature and things and, and, and something like that happens and it's just, it sort of takes you away from everything, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a minute. Right. And then when you come yeah. back, it's like, you can, you have a slightly different perspective and you're, you're yeah. like, you know, this isn't as important as it was an hour ago. Um, That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, I wasn't sure of what to think of it. And you make a really great point because she does, she's able to cry. You know, we haven't seen her show any emotion like that. And um, I interpreted it also as she is truthful as she sees it. She's hard, but she's truthful. So she won't allow herself the soft comfort of, you're my reincarnated daughter. Mm. She's like, you're beautiful, but don't try to fool me. You're not her, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of liked that, that she held herself to that same standard. But of course, it gives her no comfort because you would like to think she's, you know, oh, you're living on. (laughs) But it's a fake comfort. Yeah, yeah. And she did (laughs) thank it for coming, too. Yeah. You know, so it, it was almost like she felt like this was some kind of a divine thing going on, although she wouldn't open herself up 100% to it. But she felt that it was special, and she and she right. thanked she thanked for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of those things that people do. And yeah. This being the movie, it was. I just expected that deer to get shot by somebody in a second. You know, oh some gosh. deer hunter coming by. Oh, that I'm been so horrible. grateful that didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, you know, the 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 sheriff was very interesting to me too. Um, I, I liked him quite a bit. You know, he was hard and tender as well. You know, um, I, I oh, what's the actor's name again? Woody Harrelson. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought I he feel did. Like he was cast on purpose because we yeah. all love Woody Harrelson. Right, and I he thought he just him. did just a fantastic. It was like perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, he was good. Yeah, and. You know, I, I can we reveal the the big moment there? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, so so he was he was like the now. catalyst. Um, uh, yeah. For for a lot of things, um, you know, I, I didn't like that he did what he did. Agreed. <laughs> you know, I think it's just like no suicide. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about with his character. Yeah. Um, he, go ahead. But he was totally. Um, it's interesting because he commits suicide, and on the one hand, I decried that because I'm like, oh, well, now you're taking the easy way out because he's like, oh, honey, you and the kids couldn't take me getting sick, and I'm like you don't know what they could take and what you're putting them through by this. You're giving yourself the easy way out. Mm -hmm. However, without his suicide, he sends all these letters to people afterward. And without his suicide, people would not have taken the notice. And so that almost goes back to the Flannery O'Connor point of it's the big violent act of violence that makes us pay attention to something. Right. Right. You know, yeah, I probably stepped on your line. Sorry. No, no, no. That's uh, it's very well put, you know, so I, I would be against that in, in life. <laughs> yes. You know, <clears throat> I think that he needed to see that out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, by, by doing this flashpoint um, yeah. and then um, telling everybody, you know, he, he could have written these letters without uh, yeah. the act too. But, um, but it, yeah, with that, with that flashpoint, I mean, it's, it's clarifying, you know, that violence 
Well, and it's Pierce's illustrated reality. for us that the that his death makes his notes resound more because he'd already told um, Dixon. Yeah. And he was like, no, you're a good man underneath. You know, you're capable. He says something like that as they're walking out the door at one point. Yeah. The, yeah. He says something like else, that to him and nobody yeah. listens. Dixon yeah. doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. The guy, the cop who's standing there near, near him goes, well, yeah, but he tortured that, you know, black guy. And he's like, well, he didn't really. And their eyes meet. And he goes, well, there was no evidence of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he's letting him, he's giving him chance after chance. Essentially, of course, it's not nice for the people that were tortured but you know yeah um but it's when that note is being read and again the note is being read in a moment of great violence golly how do you corral this movie in order to talk about it yeah um <laughs> it's like a maze of as you said it's like a web of connections mm-hmm. and one of the things that i like about it and this is um speaking of how those connections are shown we see how at, at one point, uh, one of the characters is anger begets anger or hate begets hate. Either way, um, we that is visually illustrated for us time after time after time after time. But what is subtler is that, and this is really in the last third or fourth of the movie, is that every act of kindness or mercy or forgiveness, however tiny, ripples out and is either reciprocated or that act is kind of passed on by the character it was extended to being that way to somebody else. Hmm. So you have all these tiny moments. And so one of them is, I guess it's a bit bigger, but when Dixon has been burned by by the firebombing of the station and he's, you know, all wrapped up and all you can see are his eyes and they bring him into the room where the guy is who he threw off the second story window. Yes, guys, it's that kind of a movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and the guy is like, oh, you know, he, and he sees him and he starts crying. He's feeling remorse. Yeah. Because he read the letter that said, you can be a better person deep down. Yeah. That has started yeah. to crack him open a little bit. And he's crying. He realizes some of what the enormity of what he did is, well, the guy who, is hurt who he's got the connection with doesn't know that he's oh do you want some orange juice here's a straw and he then starts apologizing i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that and the guy who he threw off the window the young ad man is staggered by this and you see him he has to go over to his bed and sit down with his back to him and visibly get control of himself he chooses the kinder path he just ignores it and comes back with the orange juice So Dixon was shown kindness and trust in that letter. He gives it to the ad guy by apologizing. The ad man chooses to to overlook his worst instincts, and he comes back with kindness. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's powerful. And then in the restaurant, there's that other sequence, too. In the restaurant, um, so uh, Mildred is on a date. Ah, yes, with, okay. Um, and I can't remember the guy's name. It's Peter, Peter Dinklage, Dinklage is uh, yeah is the actor. Yeah, he he he's and, so good too. And maybe this is the bit of Flannery O'Connor, the bit of the grotesque. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but he's a dwarf. You know, he's one of the highest paid actors on TV, thanks to Game of Thrones. And he's a great actor, but you know, he is who he is. And 
as he says when he's sitting at the table with um, Mildred, he's like, look, I know I'm not a catch. I'm a dwarf in a small town in Missouri who's got a drinking problem and I'm trying to sell used cars, you know. Um, so, but what happens is, is the husband, the ex-husband comes in with the girlfriend and they go over to a table. Mildred's there with her date, Peter Dinklage, dressed in the most unbecoming way possible. So she's clearly just grudgingly there. And the uh, Peter Dinklage leaves the table and when the husband comes over and starts making a lot of stupid jokes and um, the husband sits down and apologizes for burning the billboards, hmm. which startles her because she didn't know that. Startled that me happened. too. But yeah, yeah it startled <laughs> everybody because we, we don't know who did it, but that's why she firebombed the police station because yeah. she made an assumption. And um, so he apologizes for that. And then he says, I just want to let you know something that it's uh, anger begets anger or hate begets hate, I think is what it is. And she's startled. And he says, so, you know, kind of stop it. And then he says, you know, that's his girlfriend read that in a book. She's like, she did? Because she she doesn't come off as like smart, sweet, but not smart. And so he goes back to his table. Peter Dinklage comes back and she's extremely awful to him saying, well, you forced me to come on this. And he goes, forced you? I asked you on a date. And we've been able to see through the movie he admires her very much. And he's like, this is when he says, look, I know I'm no prize. And so he's listing off all the disadvantages. And he goes, but look at you and what you've done. And you're saying I'm the one with a problem. And he stands up and walks out on her. Yeah. yeah. And she's just sitting there stunned by all these people speaking truth to her. Hmm. And so she grabs the wine bottle in a way that we're all dreading because it looks like she's going to, you know, yeah. bring it down on somebody's head. And she goes over. <laughs> and in fact, the, they expect it too. the husband's kind of, or the ex-husband's kind of like protecting the girlfriend. And, um, she says, you read that in a book? Yeah, it was a book about poli polio. Was it polo? It was on a bookmark? Which is the one about the horses? <laughs> That's the thing. This movie could be so funny. Oh, man. Like Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. And that's, oh, horse, polo. And the husband, ex-husband's like, polo. He knows how dumb she is. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. It was on a bookmark. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and then she puts the wine on the table and says, be good to her. Hmm. So she's able to then kind of say, we're going to move on. Don't treat her the way you treated me. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, so it's this yeah. series of, yeah, it's just a whole series of things. And we've seen before, we know in the world we live in that anger begets anger, hate begets hate. Yeah, and then, and then the opposite of that is what was stated by Chief Willoughby in the letter to Dixon, right? Is, mm -hmm. um, you know... She's saying, you know, you've been an angry man. And then he said, uh, you know what? You need to become a detective. And I know you're going to wince when I say it. Um, but you need love. Right. And then um, I have a quote in front of me. It says, because love, through love comes calm. And through calm comes thought. And you need thought to detect stuff sometimes, Jason. It's kind of all you need. <laughs> you don't even need a gun. And then he says, and you definitely don't need hate. Hate never solved nothing, but calm did and thought did. Try it, try it for just for a change. Right. Yeah. And that's when the irony is, is that's when the station's being firebombed behind him. He can't yeah. see it. But what does he do? He grabs the case of the daughter 
off yeah. the desk and throws mm-hmm. himself out the window. Yeah. And then we start to see the changes in behavior. You know, yeah. he's taking it to heart. He overhears the guy talking. He gets the DNA from his face, which I didn't know what the heck was going on. During yeah, that was, um, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, because then he goes in, he goes, and his mother, for the first time, is acting like a mother instead of a hateful old hag. Yeah, yeah. Although she was always nice to him, but she was just awful. But she's now emotional mm-hmm. and um, gets the DNA kit. I'm like, ah. Oh. And wasn't that a clever turn of plot? Because we've been set up to think but. Chief Willoughby said, oh, yeah, sometimes you overhear things. We've seen that guy threaten Mildred. Go, no, I didn't do it, but I wish I did. And yeah. then he's bragging to the friend as if he did kill the daughter. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, my gosh, he did do it. And then he didn't. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you cheater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he said he was with friends and stuff, too, when that happened. You know, yeah. whatever, whatever he did happen. So I was thinking, well, maybe he's still the right guy, you know. But we don't know and, if yeah, he did anything. Yeah, we just don't anything. know. We honestly don't, yeah. We don't know if he's bragging about, because the implication, or what the way the new police chief tells it is that, you know, it's military records. We can't say anything. So you don't know if he's bragging about something awful he did in the Middle East or yeah, wherever he was, right. wherever there was sand, mm-hmm. um, or if he's just making it all up because he's such a jerk that that makes him feel like a big man to brag about it. Yeah. And that's the problem with taking the law into your own hands because Dixon at the end says, well, I know he did something. I can tell from the way he was talking. (laughs) We can get somebody who raped someone. And she's like, oh, well, I'm going to Idaho in the morning. You want to come along? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. And And at the time you're thinking, yeah, he did do something the way he's talking. But you know what? There's not a grain of evidence for any of it. Yeah. He could just be bragging. And they he realized that, yeah, that was quite a thing, you know. Yeah. So they're, it's tough to stay angry for that long drive, Missouri to Idaho. But but well, it didn't take them very long to, and they look at each other and say, are you sure about this? And yeah. the answer was no, no, we're not. Well, and the way they are in the car is interesting because, you know, they've both been so driven forward into action all the time by anger, by anger intention yeah. and reaction to other people. And in the car, they're both softer yeah. you know he's kind of leaning over just looking out the window and she's just driving but she's not holding herself all rigid she's just driving mm. so when she says uh you know it was me that firebombed the station and he goes well duh who else would it be <sighs> you know it's there's this kind of a camaraderie between them they aren't being held up by that hate anymore they've kind of got some sort of a peace mm. Because she sees he tried to do something. She says, you gave me hope for a day, and that's more than I've had ever. Yeah. And so he tried and failed, but here's the person she expected least from, because he was pretty awful. Right. Who was extending himself for her. And that's yeah, so and he, then... he really did extend himself pretty yeah. far, right? And he took a pretty severe beating on her behalf. Well, and it's on his own behalf because he's being the man that he thinks that Willoughby said he was. Yeah. And he clearly idolized Willoughby. And he's trying to live up to it. You know, so so when she says, are we going to do this thing? And he goes, I don't know. What do you, you know? And she says, well, let's just, we'll decide on the way. And it's left open to the viewer. Do you think they were going to do it? <laughs> 
I don't think they were going to. Do you? I think they were going to run out of steam before they even got there. Yeah, I think they were already out of steam. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And and we're kind of given some visual cues, I think. Um, you can see what you think. But, you know, outside the car, it's all green and dappled sunlight because this is Missouri and that's what Missouri mostly is. And um, it, But it's kind of out of focus. You aren't seeing sharp tree trunks and leaves as they go by. It's just kind of almost like a bubble hmm. around them. Mm-hmm. And um, when, and I could be wrong, and so you can correct me, but I've watched for this the second time I saw it was when the camera's looking at him at the very end when they're talking about, are we going to do it? It's like the car's slightly going uphill. And when it's looking at her, it's like it's level. Huh. So these are camera angles, I think, yeah. that are kind of showing there's the potential to go up and choose the right way not to do yeah. this, not to lash out in anger at somebody that you don't know anything about. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're left with that feeling of hope. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I was left with that. That's how I felt at the end. Mm-hmm. After being pummeled for the two hours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Well, because, you know, the whole movie... It's an interesting lesson for life in a way. Um, we, we hope we're not like Mildred, but how many small things have we taken and kind of hardened ourselves on? It's that hard, hard. And so it's that idea that not every speed bump that life passes along teaches us to be tolerant, you know? So what do we do when life isn't fair and there is no way to rectify it? Because we're not in control and no one's in control. And you, and I think that's why in this movie, that guy didn't isn't the one who killed her. That's not the point of the movie. Yeah. The point of the movie is that you might never find out what do you do with it. We're seeing all these people deal with those consequences. Yeah, I'm not and, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure life yeah. was fair to any of the characters, which is an interesting aspect of it. Right. So yeah. how do we channel our anger at an unjust world? Mm-hmm. And what this movie really shows is, I mean, because she is so tied in that bubble of anger and also self-loathing. Yeah, Because of that right. fight that we yeah. see, you know, mm-hmm. she would she be that angry if she hadn't had that fight with her daughter and the last words they hurled at each other were, I hope I get raped. Well, I hope you get raped too. And guess how she dies. Right, right. You know, so mm. there's, she's not a prophet and she doesn't make it happen. But of course, we're left with horrible guilt if we, have something, you know, I hope you have a car accident and then they die in a car accident. Yeah. Oh no. Mm. Um, and so you can't take the words back and then that's what happens. Mm. So, you know, the only way to healing is when you look outside yourself and outside that bubble. Yeah. And kind of apply what the chief said, which is hate never solved anything, but love does. Mm-hmm. Think calm and thinking do. And love is the antidote to hate. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well done. Yeah. The, the, yeah. It's extremely well written. I, you know, again, all these connections. Well, and as Catholics, that's the thing that we are, we're the ones who are continually called upon if we're supposed to try to be, you know, we've got Dixon who's trying to be more like what Willoughby thinks he should be or says he is. And if we love God and have any kind of relationship with God, 
then we're supposed to try and be like him, like Jesus. Mm. So we have to, you know, he told us, turn the other cheek. We're supposed to be the ones who extend that bit of mercy, that bit of forgiveness, that bit of healing. And it doesn't mean it has to be lying down like a doormat, Mm -hmm. because truth is truth. But the way you live truth matters. Yeah. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. So that message and and the little things we see in here are what happen when you live a Christian life. Maybe you never see the ripples. Maybe they're seeds for somebody else to benefit from. But you have even if you're treated badly, you have to try. Yeah. That guy was thrown off a second story window. His secretary was punched in the face. Mm-hmm. But he still is able to overcome that and offer orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so that, that's the positive side. And then, you know, the negative side is sin, right? Mm-hmm. You know, sin has ripples too. Yeah. So, yeah, which, you know, we reap all the time. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, overall, I mean, this, this, I felt like this was a fairly positive message kind of a movie. Oh, yeah. Way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's what was surprising about it. I guess I'm used to the negative yeah. The negative from the this negative. Uh, well, no, not or, specifically this director. Or this I'm just used to, like I said, uh, you know, through through my 50 years of watching movies. Oh yes. Um, you know, there are certain expectations, and this bucked them. <laughs> that's, right. That's why the whole our whole family was sitting there watching this, and none of us admitted it to each other till afterwards. But about halfway through. We're just all sitting there going, oh, no, this is so awful and depressing and everybody's terrible. And this whole movie is just going downhill and getting worse and worse and worse. But we all just kind of shut up and kept watching. Hmm. And that last fourth is what makes the difference. Yeah. You start to see the turn and it's a small turn. Yeah. You know, when she goes back, is she going to be a different person? She's probably still going to be hard to live with. And crude and all this stuff, but there will be more times of joking with her son over breakfast, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, less times of kicking the kids at the high school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, okay, really? Because she would have been in jail in about five minutes. I know. That, 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 yeah. and can't kick kids at a high school. <laughs> Like the way she did. <laughs> yeah. I thought that, you know, um, and uh, Sam Rockwell, Dixon, when, okay. when he threw that guy out the window, oh. I mean, there were witnesses everywhere. Yes. I thought he was going to be in jail. You know, that would they would just have arrested him right there. Why would that guy not have pressed charges immediately, immediately. as soon as he could talk? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and then it was the, in front of the pol- new police chief. Right, right. Yeah. Who he disdains because he's just a random black man standing yeah. around watching things on the street. Yeah, when he came in and said who he was, what I expected to happen was he was going to arrest him immediately. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. Instead, he said, yeah. hand in your badge and go home. Yeah, yeah so, right. It's that thing of, um, uh, well, and it also kind of shows you how much disrespect anybody black in that town has mm. because everybody else kind of straightens up in the police station when he says, my name is Abercrombie and I'm the new chief. But Sam Rockwell keeps acting like a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And very disrespectful and everything and looking at his friends for, you know, support on this. 
and he's not the quickest guy, but he also, you get a feeling is reflecting the way that any normal black person would have been treated who walked in and demanded some respect. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter how you're dressed or if you, you know, he's not taking the badge seriously and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like that moment too when he told, uh, this new chief told Mildred that we're not all the enemy or we're not all evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that was, you know, that, that kind of feeds into the thing she was telling the Catholic priest too. Cause in my head, um, Oh yeah. There's this group point. thing going on there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she was talking to the Catholic priest, okay. So uh, to set this up, she, she's coming home drunk from being at the bar and uh, when she walks in, her son is talking to this Catholic priest in their house. Right. And and um, that's when the priest, like you said earlier, uh, told her, hey, everybody's with you on your daughter, but nobody's with you on this. And it, it's the wrong right. way to go. You're, you're, you're making this really terrible. And um, then she just tees off on the priest and basically says you've joined this group and therefore you're responsible for everything that everybody in this group does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She goes off on the Catholic church basically, but she starts off with gangs saying Uh, there was a law in LA. Crips and bloods. Yeah. Yeah. If you're even a part of the group, even if you never did anything of the bad stuff they did, they can't prove anything. You're still culpable. And I was like, that's a law. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) And then he therefore applies it to priests, you know, Mm -hmm. because of the sect, Actual scandal in the church and I'm like you can't do that and that's, <laughs> and that's a good point of that the other side of that is the new police chief yeah we're not all like that you can't just go group think essentially right group apply that to group yeah that is one of the things there about you know this you know identifying people as part of groups all the time well, you're you're making a lot of assumptions that are not true, right? You know, so you know, Catholics are this, and police are this. <laughs> you know, it's not true, right? Well, and yeah, because just because she's the victim, essentially, or her daughter is, she's not the hero. Yeah, and just because, like Willoughby or the new police chief or cops, doesn't mean they're the enemy. Yeah. Things are more nuanced than that. And that kind of also, that's an interesting thing to reflect against um, because what I like a lot that Martin McDonough did in this is there's a lot of moral ambiguity for every main character. There's nobody who's all good or all bad. There's some people a lot more bad and a lot more good or a lot more angry and a lot more nice, but everybody's got even though they're painted with broad strokes, they have some nuances. And so you look at like the family, that one flashback of the family, Mm. you know, you're thinking of this poor teenage daughter who was killed and you've seen the son who's a pretty decent, normal looking kid and he acts pretty regular. And what you see of the family is how dysfunctional they are. And, you know, the, it doesn't take two seconds before the daughter and mother are at each other's throats screaming. And the daughter is not this sweet, nice person that you like to think of as a victim. I mean, you know, that you're like, oh, the poor victim. She was sweet, nice and all this. No, she wasn't. 
She was a not a great teenager. But the thing is, is that doesn't mean she deserved what happened to her. Right. That doesn't mean she doesn't deserve to be treated as if she was a nice, sweet person like we thought she was before we saw the flashback. Or that this family isn't in great pain just because they're horrible to each other. Yeah. And that's the same thing about how we've been thinking about this family as a group up to that point, or at least how I had been. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It kind of goes up as a contrast or a comparison, maybe just another nuance with what you're saying about, you know, her talking to the priest about, you know, being part of this group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because then she herself makes assumptions based on group (laughs) that wind up in her firebombing the police station. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Yep, because of who she feels they are, you know, she made that assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, I keep using the word powerful, but it is. It really is. <clears throat> and it's yeah. one of these moments that make you think about things like that, and I think that's why I like it so much. That's the thing, and the more you think about it, the more you see all these comparisons that are pretty carefully put in there, but you they don't strike you at the time, you know, until yeah. you're talking about it some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I liked, uh, you know, Willoughby in, in another one of his letters. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, let's talk about his letter to Mildred. Yes. What do you think about that? I love that letter. Yeah, so um, that was something. <laughs> you know, uh, firstly, I wanted to apologize. I've got it in front of me. It's on IMDb on the, in the oh, quotes, okay. you know. Firstly, I okay. wanted to apologize for dying without catching your daughter's killer. It is a source of great pain to me, and it would break my heart to think you thought I didn't care, because I did care. And, um, you know, I don't know if that breaks into her or not, but, you know, her assumption that they didn't care is what put the billboards up in the first place. Um, right. I never got the feeling that the chief didn't care about that at all. I just felt like I thought he was telling the truth when he was like, you know, I, I have nowhere to oh, go. Yeah. I have nowhere else to go. She just wanted something done. Right. And someone and something solved. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I like this little bit of foreshadowing, right? Um, there are just some cases where you never catch a break. Then five years down the line, some guy hears some other guy bragging about it in a bar room. That's where set up yep. at that point. Yeah. You bet. And then the whole thing is wrapped up through sheer stupidity. I hope that might be true for Angela, I, you know, and, and by wrapped up through sheer stupidity, you know, that he's pointing at Dixon too, you know, mm-hmm. just the situation oh, yeah, and he's pointing point. at Dixon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is a foreshadowing there. And then, um, second, I've got to admit, Mildred, the billboards were a great idea. <laughs> I'm taking out all the F words, by the way. Right. Yes, please do. Yeah. They were like a chess move. And although they had absolutely nothing to do with my dying, I will assume almost everyone in town will assume that they did. Which is why, for Willoughby's counter move, I have decided to pay next month's rent. <laughs> yeah, that was a good moment, too. I loved that. Yeah, I decided to pay ne- the next month's rent on them. I thought it'd be funny, you having to fend them for a whole nother month after they've stuck me in the ground. The joke is on you, Mildred. Ha ha. And I hope <laughs> they do not kill you. <laughs> So good luck with all that, and good luck with everything else, too. I hope and I pray that you get him. And that's just an interesting thing there. It's like, you know, why do that to her, you know? Uh, 
part of me is thinking that you know that's uh, hilarious it's, I, yeah it, it's like and she gets it yeah she does get it but it's but he's nice like stuff. he's like i yeah. apologize for not catching your daughter's killer right but then um she's in real danger because he killed himself and because of the perception of everybody against right. the what they perceive as her which is the mistake she's been making in perceiving everyone else right you know so um but he's really put her in a dangerous spot. Yeah, well, he's only let, let's let's just say this like this: people who commit suicide aren't usually thinking about other people. Yeah, agreed. Not, yeah, I mean, they're not really in their right minds. Uh-huh. I, is my opinion. Um, in this particular written thing, he's very much in his right mind. He's just, I think, making some mistaken uh, assumptions and choices. Hmm. But. He he's by doing that thing with the billboards. I just thought that was hilarious because it was like, I get it. I understand you. But you know what you don't get is how it flipped the tables on you. Hmm. You're not the object of pity that you were anymore. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's and a he's good saying, point. Yeah. So therefore, you're going to have to put up with this for another month because I know you can't afford it, but I can. And so, ha ha. Yeah. Take yeah. that. Yeah. Understood. That's that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and you know, this was written because Martin McDonagh saw three billboards like that somewhere. He says somewhere down in the Georgia, Florida, Alabama corner. Oh. Um, that a father had taken out because his daughter's death hadn't been. Uh, I don't know if it was exactly phrased like that. Yeah. But it hadn't been solved. And he thought about it for 10 years, I think I read. And when he thought about it from the point of view of a mother's point of view instead of a father, it kind of all came into focus for him. Mm. Because we expect a father to want vengeance like this. We don't expect a mother to be driven to these extremes. We expect them to feel it, maybe, but not to take this kind of action and be this hard. And it just made him start thinking about all the aspects of rage and grief and hate and everything and then also, of course, from the fact that he named it Missouri, we think of Ferguson, Missouri. Mm, yeah. Although he didn't address anything to do with race, really uh, directly. Yeah. Tangentially, it's addressed. But he's, for one thing, an Irish playwright, so he's not as versed in that. And it, I think, was interesting to look at it from the point of view of this lower socioeconomic level of people hmm. who are dealing with things, and it doesn't mean higher economic level people won't deal with things also on a very primitive level but they would do it differently probably yeah it's interesting you said you know he wasn't really versed in race but he is versed in groups isn't he you know as an irishman i guess that's what it is he's versed in groups because he's looking at different groups yeah and 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 showing us some of the fallacies of looking at people that way Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so it's good yeah Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the thing that he gives us in this that makes it come alive and that especially as a Christian you cannot deny is as long as you're living and breathing, there is the possibility of change, redemption, forgiveness, and grace. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and that's what he leaves us with. Uh-huh. This opportunity is here. What will they do? Yeah, and a very Flannery-like ending, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Just kind of leaves it open so we can kind of think about it. Yeah. 
And it's a funny thing. I was talking about this movie with a group last week. And I said, so who thinks that they go off and kill the guy at the end? And there were two men in the room and both of them raised their hands. <laughs> I said, really? And they mm. went, it's what I do. And I said, even after all this, it's what I do. Wow. I'm like, well, of course they weren't in that situation, but I thought mm. it was interesting that they were left with that, you know, no, this is what you do. Mm. But also one of them, I couldn't talk out of the fact that he somehow thought that there was actual proof that this guy had committed a crime. And I was like, well, even if he has committed the crime, there's no proof of it. You know, you can't just go off and do these personal vendettas. Right. Which is what the whole movie is about. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, them going off to shoot somebody is the extreme version of that at the end. Exactly. You know, going out and doing these vendettas, you know, it's like her, you know, firebombing the police station. It was yeah. not the right thing to do because she was yeah. attacking the wrong people. Well, yeah. and... It's just not the right thing to do anyway because you don't know who's going to get hurt. I mean, she calls three times because she's worried about that. Well, she still hurts someone. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you you just have to get a grip. And your own personal pain and anger is something that you do have to deal with somehow. Right. You know, the priest says, you haven't been coming back to church. Now, you also don't get the feeling that he's been coming up to try to visit her. Mm-hmm. No one ever says, well, and you were turned away from the door eight times, you should have gotten the message. So there's that lack also. Yeah. But yeah. she shut herself off, and that's what we do a lot of times that leads to a lot of this distortion, I think. Right. We shut ourselves off in our little echo chamber or just by ourselves. And that's, as you said many a time, you know, that's a dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have those moments that break through. <laughs> right. Yes, if we and listen hopefully to we them. don't require the violence. Yes. But the, a nice deer would just be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Cool. Well, just thank you for picking this movie again. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. <clears throat> yeah, do you want to you know, I don't think we've ever talked about uh the the movie discussions that you do, have we? I don't think so. Do you want to talk about that at all? I just or? tangentially bring them up like I did, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I do, at senior communities, I will do hour-long movie discussions where they have shown the movie I've picked ahead of time, whether it's a day ahead of time or right before. Everybody structures that kind of differently. And then I'll come and talk about it for an hour. Hopefully, I'm getting other people to engage in conversation with me. Some places are like that. And so then some places are more me giving a lecture. Mm. So, um, but, you know, what surprised me is there there were five different places that I wound up talking about this movie. Wow. Yeah. And because it was an Oscar contender and an Oscar winner for different actors, it was requested by people. And I was like okay. And each time I, before they were going to watch it, I, you know, at the session before I was like, okay, keep this in mind, you guys. First, the language is terrible. Second, you know, and that's the first thing I heard was, oh, the language. (laughs) But once they got past that, everybody was really engaged with the movie. That's cool. But yeah, so I've been doing that for, with all kinds of different movies for, um, I would say a couple years 
at more than one place. And then this started about five years ago at the place where my mother-in-law was. Mm. And I would go read to her every so often. And then I thought, well, I, I really felt God's prompting to say I should be doing something more yeah. at this place. And so I went to the activities director and we started doing this, which kind of gradually turned into this kind of a format. Well, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's a, you know, some places it works better than others, but in every place I go, there are always at least a handful of people who really love it. Oh, cool. And they're the fun ones to talk to, of course. And yeah. Yeah. So. Well, neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about that several times, but I don't, can't remember ever talking about it here. No, but I, I love that you do that. It. That's so cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you would think it would, you know, my idea was to have it be a bit of a business, and it is just a little bit of a business. I'm always surprised that, you know, people don't really want to do it sometimes. Huh. It's a funny thing. Yeah, yeah. But people do. <laughs> and it's interesting, all well, the reactions good. you get to stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, good. Well, good. Okay. Well, thanks for asking about of it. Of course. You betcha. You betcha. All right, so next up is uh, you need to visit Bishop Barron for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to yeah. maybe look at the theological statement of the movie we just saw in yeah. a way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great book, um, The Strangest Way by Robert Barron. Okay. Um, I guess he was Father Robert Barron at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I think uh, it's 2002, yeah. maybe. Right. And I'm just finishing up uh, his new book, too. The, uh, what is that? To Light a Fire or something? Oh, like it's that? John Allen. Yeah. yeah. That was a good one. There it is. To, to Light a Fire. To light on a Fire the earth. on the Earth. There it is. To Light a Fire on the Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost done with that as well. <clears throat> you know? Yeah, that's a good one. It's very different from The Strangest Way, which I've read the first third of, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that one I'm really liking so far because it's a very practical kind of a statement of theology. But also you hear Bishop Barron's voice in there so strongly. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's really, it might be the best of his books. We'll see. Yeah, and you'll get to uh, revisit some Dante on the road in that book, too. I just finished the first section. So, but uh, my book club's going to read Brideshead Revisited, which is what it all circles around. (laughs) So I was like, oh. Wow, when are you going to do that? Are you going to do that before this? No, no. Oh, Um, darn. Okay. It'll be a little after this. And I've tried two or three times to read Brideshead Revisited, and Uh it just has not grabbed me. So between that and the book club, I'm hoping that'll be my entree to appreciating the book. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And I've not read that book at all. I've never even attempted it. So, well, we'll see. And it's a miniseries or something, right? I wonder if it's any good. Well, I think it's supposed to be really good with Jeremy Irons. Uh huh. Um, and who reads the audiobook, by the way? Jeremy Irons reads the audiobook? Oh, yeah. wow. That's yeah. probably very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be a seminal book. And uh, uh-huh. my daughter, Hannah, picked it based on her husband's recommendation. So, oh, good. It's an interesting route to it. And then, so when I was reading the first part of Bishop Barron's book, I was like, oh, good. He's giving me a key to the book. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for picking the movie. Thanks I'm for so listening, everybody. Yeah, yeah. I really did. 
Yeah, this is another pool room movie. My pool room's getting full of stuff. <laughs> it can never be too full. There's always room to tuck in one more. One more, yep. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, everybody. Yes. Have Thanks. a great couple of weeks. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.